today's episode of the SSPX podcast, we'll continue our apologetic series by looking at what is commonly called the last things. That is heaven, hell, purgatory, and judgment. What happens when we die? Is it logical that we be judged by God? And is it compatible with our understanding of God that we could either spend an eternity in a paradise beyond our knowledge or in a place of suffering that will never end? We'll tackle these questions and more in the next hour. You can find notes to all of these episodes at sspxpodcast.com slash apologetics, as well as all of our previous episodes. There as well, you can find a link to help support this project. This is free to listen to as well as all of the resources we're posting, but if you can help with a one-time or a small monthly recurring donation, you'll be making sure that we can continue this work of producing good Catholic content on a regular basis. Now let's join Father Albert for episode number 31 of the Apologetic Series here on the SSPX Podcast. Father Albert, it is wonderful to see you again. How have you been since the last time we talked in, oh, I'm looking right now, uh, we talked in April last time. So how have you been since then? Um, pretty busy. April, I was preaching, oh, well, actually it was Lent, I was preaching all over the place. And then in the summer, I preached a couple of retreats. And I met some uh, new tourists in Omaha, Nebraska, of all places. Oh, wonderful. Um, traditional. So let's keep being busy. You know, I have That's almost a hundred tertiaries now. I don't know what to wow. do with them. That's, that's what, and, and for those who don't know what a, a tertiary is, that's uh, someone who belongs to the third order of St. Dominic. Is that correct? That's right. Just like the society has tertiaries, the, the Benedictines have what they call oblates, which is the same thing. Okay. They're, they're members of the order, but they're, they live in the world. And they don't take vows, but they take promises. So there's sort of associates. Yeah. Goes back to St. Francis and St. Dominic. That's sure. Or really where it started. Sure. That's just wonderful. Just keep me up with them. Yeah. Well, uh, Father, we are we're having you back to talk about uh, another another important topic in in our study of apologetics, and that is the last things. Uh, we're going to be talking about what the last things are. We'll we'll probably define them first. Uh, but just like with every other episode you know of apologetics, we are looking at can can this thing, whatever thing it is we're talking about this day, can this thing be seen to be reasonable? So we are going to be looking at our main question, which is the reasonableness of the church's teaching on the particular and the general judgments on purgatory, on hell, on limbo, on heaven, on all those last things. Is it reasonable? Can we with good, solid reason say, yes, these things exist or they could be possible? Right. That's That's the question. All right. <laughs> Sorry. Try to answer. Um, it's possible. It's possible. You see, the church's teaching is reasonable. Um, faith goes farther than reason. Um, but to make an act of faith, it has to be reasonable. Uh, or you shouldn't make it. And the, the Catholic Church is the only religion, really, where you can justify making that act of faith. And so all of its teachings can be defended by reason. It surpasses reason, but you can show that it's not against reason and that there's certain things okay. fit in with reason perfectly, as we're going to see. Okay. Well, we, we don't have to really prove or or really have any big reasonable or logical leaps to show that we all die. That's just a fact. That's we know that. That's, <laughs> that's pretty simple. And that's the first of the last things. But then the next of the last things is 
judgment. The Catholic Church teaches that all men will be judged. So where would you like to start in this discussion, Father, well, about the reasonableness of judgment? Well, what death is, because okay. um, everybody agrees that we die, but people don't exactly agree on what that means. Sure. Some people think, well, that you just disappear. Okay. Um, but that's not that common, and I guess most, most people think that there's some sort of Something happens after a death, and there's various opinions, but it sort of divides between people who think that the soul, which is this what's left after you die, simply, um, continues on and starts sort of a new phase of its existence. That's what Plato said, for example. He thought that soul existed before and then it then just according to how it lived during life um it would either be completely freed from the body because for him the body was the tomb um so if you lived a good life then you would you wouldn't have to become incarnated again and then if you did have to be incarnated well it's according to the merits that you had in your previous life and that's kind of a general idea that a lot of religions have. Buddhism goes even farther, though. For them, the greatest thing would be to just not exist anymore. It's not only not to have a body, but it's to just disappear in the all. Okay. Um, but as we saw, I think, on our last um, broadcast, we, we showed that the soul is the form of the body. Um, we're talking about man, remember? And yes. If that's the case, that means that the soul did not exist before the body, because the form doesn't exist before the matter. They make one thing. Um, so there's no question of reincarnation if we've already proven that the, the soul didn't exist before. It's, it's supposed to be the form of this piece of matter, which is its body. But um, I think we also showed that because of this, its intellectual operation, um, this human soul is different from other souls, animal souls, because it has an operation which is universal. And so it has this operation which is separate from the body, and so it has an existence which is separate from the body because adjure sequitur esit. What you do follows what you are. Okay. So the soul then continues to exist, but what happens to it? That's the question. And that's where this idea of moral judgment comes in, because that's what happened. It does, that answers the question, well, what happens to the soul after it dies? Um, well, um, we can call that a judgment as well to see that fate after it dies is, is its judgment. Okay? So the question is, what, what happens? Um, and the answer is very simple. It's judged. The soul is judged, which is simply another matter of saying, well, it, it, its fate is given to it uh, according to its merits. That is, according to what it did during its life. So there's a connection between what we do in our lives and our fate after death. And that's a pretty universal truth that everybody accepts. Um, because it follows from the very fact of having a conscience, you realize that 
we have this notion of good and wrong, good and bad. And implicit in that is that well, there's some things that are right and some things that are wrong. And well, that implies a certain, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, a, recomp a certain recompense for good or for bad. And that's what judgment is, okay? And it's a pretty common idea humankind, they differ on the precise nation, notion of this judgment. Like you said, Plato for him, because he thinks the soul is, is something that's completely separate from the body, um, is already existing and always will, and it has different has a different sort of metaphysical notion what happens. But once you've established that the soul is the form of the body, well, then it's, it's, it's not, it didn't exist before. Um, and because it's a strange kind of soul that can, as this act that's apart from the body, well, and it means that it can exist aside from the body. And so what the judgment is going to be, the fate of the soul, once it's separated from the body. And that's what the particular judgment is. And it's based on whether it did good or bad during life. It's pretty simple, really. And it's like- I, I, heard, an, I heard an argument once, Father, that, that uh, since it is the body that that participates in the sin and it is the body that is uh, doing the actions of of sinning um that it is the body that is punished and not necessarily the soul they were trying to get away from the idea of the soul being punished for eternity uh, is is that just gnosticism kind of wrapped up in another another idea well, it doesn't really make sense because um the soul um, the body participates in the soul's action but it only participates. It has a it has a part in the action, but the, the essential thing is what the soul does, right? That's where the morality comes. It's not the body is just an instrument. Um, it, it participates in the actions of the soul, but the morality of the action comes from the soul. That's what's what makes it right or wrong. Um, okay. Any action that doesn't isn't free, for example, well, isn't moral. Um, morality comes from will and the intellect so um the body has a certain that's what christians believe for example that um, the body participates in the judgment of the soul at the end of the end of time when there's resurrection but um, the essential thing happens right when you die you receive your essential reward or punishment for how you live at the moment of your death and that's what we have to sort of talk about okay. um maybe i can just explain with uh, read some what St. Thomas says about this. If the way to arrive at a certain goal is determined, those who take a different way or lead the right way cannot attain that goal. For the ill person is not healed if he uses the contrary means which the physician has prohibited. Now the determined way to arrive at felicity or happiness is through virtue for something does not attain its end unless it does well what is proper to it and he gives examples for neither does a plant bear fruit if the natural way of operation is not followed in it now for man to perform his proper operation is to act according to virtue for the virtue of everything is that which makes good the one who has it and which makes his work good since, therefore, the ultimate end of man is eternal life, 
Not everyone will arrive at it, but only those who act according to virtue. Um, so that's an idea that comes from Aristotle. Um, that's the definition of virtue for Aristotle. It's, it's a thing that makes a thing good and makes its work good. Um, okay. In other words, it does what it's supposed to do. Uh, a plant that's a good plant, well, it produces fruit. And a man who's a good man, well, he acts according to reason because his nature is to be reasonable. I think we talked about that last time. Um, so to be a good man is to act according to your, to do things that are according to reason. Um, and that's what your virtue does. Um, it's what makes us good. And if we do that, well, then we attain our perfection. And if we don't, well, we don't. And so judgment, in fact, is simply the... The declaration, as you will, um, of the fact of whether you've acted according to to your reason or not. Um, it is acting according to your nature and become a good man, um, or you didn't, and then well, then you don't attain your end, and you are you are you're unhappy, you're miserable. That's the basic idea of judgment according to philosophy. You know that's. It's to attain your good or not. If you attain it, well, then you're happy. And if you don't, well, you're not. And that's what the judgment exists in, is attaining your happiness or not. And to attain your happiness, you have to act according to virtue. That is, act according to your nature. It's that not really complicated, really. And this happens as soon as you have the use of your reason, you see. This starts. I mean... You, because once the first act of reason that a child has, uh, theologians teach this, St. Thomas talks about this, his first intellectual act, he has to decide if he's going to act for the good or not. That is, um, make the reasonable good the rule of his actions or not. Um, and St. Thomas says if he does choose the good at that first that moment when he first has a use of reason, um, even a pagan, he will uh, he'll be put into the state of grace. Because our pr concretely, our end is a supernatural end. So if we act according to our conscience, uh, which is just reasons, particular reason in us, um, because God has decided that we will have a supernatural end, at that moment, he gives grace, even to somebody who doesn't know um, anything about, uh, about the revealed religion, so that he will be on the way to happiness if he follows the slight that he has. Okay? Now, obviously, that's very difficult to do if you don't have someone around you to, to guide you. Now, that's why it's important right. to have the church and have the Christian, you know, Catholic families and everything else. Because um, maybe somebody could even make the right decision at the beginning, but if he's in a bunch of, with a bunch of people who are always, you know, going the other direction, well, he's probably going to go in the other direction. That's just where we are. We're social beings. Okay. Right. Um, but that's the main idea is that um, this particular judgment is simply the final uh, moment when it's, you're fixed forever. You see, that's th that's another important point. You see, um, while we're still here below, we can 
change our final end. See, this first act of, of the reason always involves choosing a, your ultimate goal. Because that's what reason does. It, it directs us towards some end. That's what makes us different from animals. Animals, they just act according to their passion. But once we have reason, you have to, everything that you do is for some goal. Um, and if that goal is a true goal, which is God, you know, to obey this law that he has put into our, uh, into our souls, um, well, then we'll attain that end. But if we don't, we won't. Um, it's, it's, it's very simple, really. So there's a quote here from Father Gregory Lagrange which kind of explains this. He says, Entrance into the state of separation from the body fixes forever the freely determined choice before death. Okay, so we have this, we, while we're in this life, we always have a goal, a good that we're trying to attain. But according to our dispositions, um, the goal will be different. Somebody who's, who's virtuous will have the true good as his, his end. But someone who lets themselves be uh, seduced by some other good, a sensual good usually, um, or even some spiritual good that's directed not to the, to the good, but to one's own personal glory or good. Um, if you're, depending on which wavelength you're on, um, the good seems different to you. So someone who loves drinking, well, for him, that's the good is the bottle. And that's, that's what he does everything for, is to be able to drink and get drunk. Um, now, obviously, that's not the good. Um, and so he's, if he doesn't change, well, when he dies, if his will is still towards that good of the bottle, well, he's going to be miserable forever because, in fact, it's not the bottle that's going to make him happy in, uh, once he's separated from his body, for example, and even in life already. But um, for him to attain happiness, he has to be willing the true good. Now, during life, that can, your, your choice can change. You can change what your universal good is going to be, the good that's going to be the end of your life. Um, but the thing is, once you at the... Once you've died, it's over. You're not going to change because the real problem is how you can ever change at all. Because once you've decided that something is going to be your universal good, well, then everything else is subordinate to that. So how can anything else come along if that's universal good? Well, that's your universal good. But in the body, you see, because we know through the senses we can have different angles on things. And so we can look at things from one, one aspect or another. I mean, drinking the bottle is good, but it makes you happy. But then, you know, you lose your wife and you lose your job. And maybe that's not such a good idea after all. And you can change. See? And it works the other way too. You can be living for God, you know, living for the true good. And then something comes along and, you know, some sensual temptation uh whatever nature and you say well i guess you know and you go off in that direction and then you've got a different universe of good so it can change but at the moment of death um 
that's all over because you become like the angels. See, the angels, because they don't have sense knowledge but immediate intellectual knowledge, they choose once for all what their good is going to be. Either it's going to be God, they mean the true good, the universal good, and they subordinate themselves to that so that they can attain their good by being in that order of the universal good. Or they can choose not to. Well, once they've chosen, you see, it's not going to change anymore because there's none of this bodily um, knowledge that gives us different perspectives of the thing. I mean, we just see immediately what we see and then we choose and then that's over. Um, so that's what happens at that. Uh, and this is what Father Gary Grange is saying. Um, um, entrance into the state of separation from the body fixes forever the freely determined choice before death. Just as in winter, frost fixes moisture on the window in its varied figures. Okay? It's a good, a good image. Can we, can we go back to that for a second, Father? And, and I'm sorry for interrupting. And, and maybe what? this is a bit of a tangent, but that's the, the analogy about the angels, even before you brought it up, was, was in my head. Right. They, they were before the fall of, of some of the angels. They, they saw God. So how is it that they were able to not choose him no, when they no, really, saw him? No, they didn't. That's the point. Once you see God, it's over. But seeing God is a reward. There was oh. a test for the angels. Okay. So they were, when, when, when they were made, they, and I, I'm sorry, again, total tangent, but when yeah. they were made, they were created by God. They were put in a place, not in a place, but they were in a situation where they did not have the full beatific vision. No, because the beatific vision is a reward for having ah. done what they were supposed to, you know, have chosen the good. Because that's the whole point, you see? They had to make an act of faith. Mm. That is, in the sense, they had to accept, because St. Thomas teaches that the angels naturally were impeccable. If there had only been a natural end for creatures, for intellectual creatures, the angels would not have fallen. They were naturally impeccable because they, they, there was no reason for them to make such a stupid mistake as to choose evil. Um, but because God gave them this supernatural destiny out of his infinite goodness and generosity, well, then they had to make an act, a choice to accept that. But to do that, they had to humble themselves. He had to receive um, that beatitude um, by an act of submission to God's gift. He had to receive it, which was a kind of an annihilation for them. Because the, okay. the, the devil doesn't see God any more than, you know, the stu most stupid person in the street. Um because God infinitely surpasses all intellectual creatures even, so, and angels. So they had to accept it the same way as we do, by, a, by an act of submission and, and a certain act of faith. Um, and that's why, you see, the proud angels who didn't want to make that act of submission of their, of their will and intelligence to God to receive what he wanted to give, that's why they're not happy. 
they refused right. the supernatural ended God, and and so they're eternally miserable because that's the end that God offered to them, and they blew it. Um, okay, and so so then this this is why it logically follows that that the reward of heaven or the punishment of hell then is eternal because the the, the choice is is fixed whether we're talking precisely. about angels or man. Precisely, once you're separate from the body, you're not going to change what you've chosen anymore. You've, you've decided because there's nothing that's going to make you see things from a different angle anymore. Um, you've decided and you've decided. So you see, hell is, is eternal okay. and then never ending simply because, not because God decides it. It's just the people, the people in hell, the very angels in hell, um, will never change. They've made the decision and they're not going to change. So since they're eternally sinning, um, well, when they're eternally punished, it's just right. it's 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 um, it, a certain it just logically follows. There's nothing you can do about it. So that's why people like you know Jacques Maritain who says this. He has this idea that you know at the end of time, even Satan is going to be taken out of hell. Well, no, it's not. It doesn't work that way. Um, they've decided, and that's 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 not going to change. Okay, it's over. The the te the it's it's now it's simply a matter of the result of that. Okay, and that's what happens at the at the at the judgment. You see, you simply um, you just stay the way you were. See, there's what St. Thomas says about um, hell being eternal. He says, the very fact of their choice is their punishment. He says, the very disorder of the will is a certain punishment, and the most afflicting. For insofar as someone has a disordered will, things which are right displease him, and it displeases the damned, that the will of God is fulfilled in all things to which will they resist. Therefore, the disordered will is never taken from them. See, that's their punishment, is this disordered will that they have. And that's, well, God just says, okay. I remember I had a novice master when I was in Italy in a religious order there before I knew tradition. Father Botticelli was our novice master. He was, he was you know, an old priest and very wise and the worst thing Father Botticelli could say to you was, do what you want. I remember there's this one seminarian once who just, he told, Father Botticelli asked him to come, and he's, he wouldn't come, and they sent somebody else to get him again, and he said he wouldn't come. He said, well, just well, let, him, let him do what he wants. See, that's the worst thing Father Botticelli could tell you, was do what you want. And that's what God does to the people, you know, who die turned away from them. Well, he's okay, do what you want. You chill, yes, that's what you want. That's what you want. Um, and that's that's it, it, it's it's kind of like the uh, it's kind of like the saying the opposite of anger or the opposite of love isn't anger. The opposite of love is apathy. Uh, that's that's kind of what Father Botticelli was was saying. Yeah, like okay, that's what you want. If you want it's up to you. Um, it's scary. See, St. John, if you want, I can explain 
St. Thomas explains this, okay? It's made, you can edit this out if you want after that. He who errs about principles cannot be corrected by other more certain things, as when a man is corrected about his error with regard to a conclusion. You see, if you have the principles right and you just get the argument wrong, well, then somebody can, can correct you. You say, well, no, that doesn't follow. But if you got the principle wrong, well, you can't correct them because there's nothing to appeal to. You can't say, well, this doesn't follow from that because the, it's not the logic that's wrong. It's where he starts from that's wrong. Um, so that's what he's saying. Um, therefore, uh, everyone, it follows natural reason um, with regard to the universal that if desire be added to but that it desire this or that beatitude, as last end, happens by reason of a special disposition of nature. This is what we were talking about before. And thus the philosopher says that such as everything is, so does the end appear to him. Therefore, if that disposition by which something is desired by someone as the last end cannot be removed from him, his will will not be able to change with regard to the desire of this end. Okay, so... If you're a drunkard, the bottle looks like you're in. Okay. And once you're fixed in that, well, there's no way to change that because you've decided what your happiness is, and there you go. Now, if if you have the misfortune to choose the wrong thing, well, then you're never gonna be happy. And that's you know, that's what hell is all about. That's what we're talking about. Right. Maybe later. Right. Most yeah. fascinating. And related to this is the error. You know, you often hear this. The, the people that think that the essence of free will is to be able to be true, choose between what's right and what's wrong, between good and evil. Um, that you have to be able to choose evil, to be free. But that's not true because God obviously... Um, can't choose evil, um, but he's free, and it's the same with the with the with the blessed in heaven. You can't say that they lose their freedom simply because they can't choose evil. See, being able to choose evil is not a perfection of liberty; it's 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 a weakness of liberty. Um, right. It's sort of like skating. You know, um, when you start. Well, you be you're able to fall down, um, and you do. But once you really know how to skate, well, then you don't fall down. I mean, you just know how to skate. Like being able right. to fall down is not part of being able to skate. On the contrary, it's it's an imperfection in skating is if you're able to fall down. And it's the same thing sure. with free will. The perfection of free will is to do what free will is for, which is to choose the good. And that's what God does. That's what the angels do. That's what the blessed do. Um, but it's not it's so, and but they're free. They're more free than we are. You see, that's what St. Thomas has a beautiful uh, explanation of when our Lord says, he who does sin is the slave of sin. Because he says, when you do good, you're acting according to reason. And that is free because reason is something that's free. It's intellectual and it's, you choose to do good. 
But someone who sins is a slave of sin because they're not acting according to reason. They're acting to some other sort of passion that's pulling them some one way or the other away from what's reason. So that's why a sin is something that's slavery. You're being uh, subdued by some other good, and it, it, it actually takes away your freedom when you sin. See, it's all part of the same same thing. Uh, that, that's why I think that those who are religious, who have taken taken the religious vows, are the most free people on earth. Wesley, exactly. Yeah. There, there's there's no well. There should be less pull towards towards doing evil or, or making the wrong decisions if if you are in a state of of you know the religious state and, and practicing the virtues, and practicing the office. Exactly. That's why we do it. Right. The whole point. Right. It frees you for the true good. Um, right. Are we doing? Um, um, we might. We have to get on maybe to some other things. The general. Yeah, I think we're. Uh, yeah, I think we're in good shape. Well, Let's do that. Because we're, you know, we. Um. So that's the particular judgment. Okay, it's simply the fact that it's like it's over. You've decided what you've decided, and it is. Okay. Um, but then we have then the particular judgment and then the general judgment. And, and this is a favorite question of those who are learning the catechism. Why, why does God need to judge us twice? Isn't once good enough? Well, once is good enough for our own particular soul, and that's it. Okay, that's, that doesn't change. Essentially, um, our destiny is fixed at the moment that we die. Um, well, there's purgatory. We'll talk about that in a minute, but that's kind of a detail. Okay. Essentially, it's fixed. But our actions during our life have consequences. Not just, uh, it's not just a matter of ourselves, but there's other people involved. And so um, our actions have consequences in the world, which we are responsible for. It can be either good or, or bad, like someone like St. Dominic or St. Thomas Aquinas. The, the good that they did continues. St. Thomas does good all the time by people reading him. Um, they find the truth. And St. Thomas, mm -hmm. St. Dominic, the, the order he founded keeps them good, saves souls. And, but he did, at his particular judgment, he didn't receive any rewards for that. So there has to be a moment where he receives the reward for the good that's that he did and it's the same for evil you know someone like luther for example uh, terrible consequences of his sin um continue right up until the last day um, so god waits until it's all over and then you get the your reward or your punishment um, when you say the reward or the punishment, so St. Saint Thomas, I, I presume you're, you're not saying that St. Thomas is not currently in heaven, so he is receiving that reward already. Right. Correct? It's Yeah, exactly. The, the, the essential reward you receive at the moment of your death, uh, with, for good or for bad, Luther as his reward. Um, but there isn't a certain accidental reward, um, a certain, you know, something more, whatever it is. Uh, okay kind of mysterious, but exactly what that means. Um, okay. But it's it's a punishment. I mean, and it's a real punishment, and it's a real reward. 
because God okay. is just. The actions that we perform here in the world have consequences. It's just that we receive what we deserve. From, Got it. From, okay. Um, so. Now, I guess you better talk about hell. All right. <laughs> um, let me just read to you from a theologian from just before the Council of the Piolanti talking about this place of punishment, which is hell, which, by the way, is common to all religions, right? This is not just something, um, you know, is in the Catholic Church that everybody talks about this because it's, re it's eminently reasonable. The wisdom of God requires that he who sins be tormented by that in which he sinned. The wicked chose creatures instead of God. May they suffer now an eternal affliction, and may it appear how vain and insane it is to lift oneself up against the divine spirit and choose something other than the infinite good. The sanctity of God requires that sin and virtue not be counted the same, for there is an essential difference between good and evil. Indeed, if all attain the same destiny, what difference is there between a blessed virgin and prostitutes, between Gabriel and Satan, between martyrs and the persecutors? These reasons are so cogent that because of them, all peoples are convinced that some future punishment awaits the wicked. So that um, is the response to people like Maritain, who mentioned that hell is just going to end someday. Well, no, it wouldn't be just. Again, like we said, if, if you choose, the essential thing is if you choose, you've chosen something other than God as your final end. Well, then you'll never have God, so you'll never have heaven. I mean, it's pretty simple. Um, but on top of this is also the fact that um, there's a certain justice in in suffering for the illegitimate pleasure that you've taken instead of doing what you should have done. That's what happens when you sin, is you, you take some other good other than the true good, which is God, and so you've sort of stolen that, that good, a certain enjoyment, and so you have to give it back. It's, just, it's only justice, and that's what happens in, in hell. The, the essential punishment, obviously, is this what's called the pain of loss, that you don't you don't attain the good, capital G. You don't attain God, which is your essential good. But on top of that, also, there are these other punishments called temporal punishments, which in hell last forever because um, there's a certain infinity to a sin because you're offending God who's infinite. Now, since the actual Pain cannot be infinite because we're finite beings. Uh, there's a certain infinitude to the pain, to the punishment, um, because it lasts forever, and that's just. It's just that it lasts forever because we've been we offended and it's to go. So maybe we can leave hell. I don't know if that's <laughs> um, fair enough. I, I think there, are, yeah, there, there are plenty of, and you know, people aren't that. I remember a long time ago. Um, this isn't before I was Catholic. Sitting around with these guys one night, and they were just you know drinking beer, and they were talking about hell. It was kind huh. of scary, like yeah. what? And you could tell, like 
the idea they kind of fell at home, you know? Yeah. I mean, people kind of know. They do. People kind of know. Yeah. And and just from a practical standpoint, you know, you, you see people who are awful people. And I'm not naming names. Right. But, but there are people who are who are who are objectively bad people or do bad things. And it seems like they get all the breaks. They have all the money. They have all the nice cars. They have all the right. And and you kind of go, that's not fair. But just that common sense tells you there needs to be a justice of some sort. Right. That's why it's a universal idea, you know. Um, yeah. And you see, because they've chosen, they get this good because that's what they've chosen. You know, mm-hmm. they have the reward is what our Lord said. Yeah. They take it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Good. You got it. That's you. Okay. But now what? <laughs> yeah. I mean, because that's, that's nothing. You, you missed the boat. Yeah. Um, and on top of that, you know, there's all the, you know, there's certain things you've done that require to be punished. Because the essential yeah. thing is you, you've missed the boat. You, you took the wrong. I remember Father, uh, Father Ward used to say that about, you know, to the kids at the camp. You're on the wrong road, boy. You're on the wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, that's a good way of saying it. Yeah. Well, um, after hell, can we talk a little bit about limbo? Yeah, uh, we're something it's. Okay. Um, okay. It's, you know, to be in limbo, we talk about being in limbo, sort of means to be between two chairs, as they say in French. Um, and that's what it means. It, you're not in heaven because the, the people in limbo don't have the beatific vision. Okay? And actually, in limbo, be, before our Lord came and died on the cross, even the just were in limbo. Because they couldn't go to heaven because our Lord had to die first and open the gates of heaven. Um, and particularly, he had to suffer for original sin, um, which was something a sin of the human race. So that had to be expiated before anybody could go to heaven. Um, but when our Lord ascended, then they went with him, the just. But people who don't have grace, they die without having grace in their souls. Well, then they can't go to heaven because what, that's what heaven is. It's the fact of um, this uh, divine modification of our being, which we receive when we receive grace, which gives us the seed of glory, as it's called. That, um, and we have the faith. A baby who's baptized has the faith. He can't use it because he doesn't. He can't use his reason. Um, but he, this virtue is infused into him so that. When he dies, he begins to be able to use his reason, and, and this seed of, of grace that's in his soul, well, then he can see he's God mm-hmm. immediately. But a baby who hasn't been baptized, well, he doesn't have that. So he can't see God, so he can't go to heaven because of original sin, because he has original sin. So he doesn't. But he hasn't done anything personally wrong. So he doesn't have any pain sense. Because the pain of loss, as we explained, is the fact of not seeing God. And he has that because he has original sin. Um, but he doesn't done anything that deserves a, a, a temporal punishment. Um, so that's what limbo is. It's a place where you don't see God. Um, but you don't suffer any punishment. Now, it's kind of discussed exactly what is it like there, you know what I mean? Um, basically, 
theologians say it, it's, it's, it's a place of natural happiness where they have a certain felicity of by knowing God in by his creatures, but they don't have the beatific vision. Mm-hmm. And obviously, it's kind of a mystery because if he's been there, he'd come back and tell us. It's right. But it's, it's, a, it's a theological conclusion from things which are actually, actually, actually taught by the faith. So, and it's taught by the faith. Yeah. You can't go to heaven if you don't have grace in your soul. And if you, I had um, I had heard a theological opinion at, at one point, Father, where they were saying, you know, the souls of the just, because they had original sin, uh, and heaven had not been opened up, they were in limbo. And right. then our Lord came and and opened up the gates of heaven and let them out of limbo. Uh, this theological opinion I heard was, well, towards at at the end when there's the general judgment, uh, or end of the world or whatever, that that God could come and basically do the same thing again and and free the souls of limbo. From limbo and allow them in. No, but what do the, you think about that? What the difference of what the souls of the just is? They had grace in their souls. You see, the, the the saints of the Old Testament, and even saints. You know, people see once, like I was saying, once you have the use of your reason, that first uh, act of reason that you make, you can be put into a state of grace. Right? Uh-huh. Offers grace to every man. You know. Um. So someone who doesn't receive it at baptism, if they attain the act of reason, the age of reason, they can be in the state of grace. You know, that's mysterious. We don't know. Okay. And as I said, it's kind of difficult to stay in a state of grace if you're not, you know, in a right. situation. You don't have the sacraments, you don't have the teaching, all that. But it's possible. Um, I see. Because, but they're in the state of grace. It's physically necessary is what where they put it theology, it's, it's absolutely necessary to have grace in order to go to heaven because grace, heaven is just grace that's um, fulfilled. Mm-hmm. Okay. And but so if you don't have grace, well, you don't have grace, and it's 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 too bad. That's because remember it, the point is it's a supernatural destiny. You know, it's not something that is owed to us. Right. Um, and that's why, you know, these children can have a certain natural happiness. Um, but they won't, sure. you know, they won't see God. Okay. All right, so that's limbo. Uh, next up is purgatory, Father. Okay, well, purgatory, again, is pretty simple. Um, that's the place where we expiate this temporal punishment that's necessary um, for this illegitimate pleasure, pleasure that we've taken. No, we say in hell, that's the temporal punishment of the senses, um, which goes on forever. Um, but in purgatory, it's, it's obviously not, it's just something that has to be dealt with. It has to be expiated um, so that the way is now clear for the person to have the beatific vision. Yes. First, he has to, this illegitimate pleasure which he has enjoyed has to be expiated. Now, it's interesting to, to know that this can be done by somebody else because it's, such, it's an objective thing. It's something that is owed to divine justice. You've stolen this and it has to be given back by somebody. But it doesn't even have to necessarily be you. It can be somebody else, um, as long as somebody pays this debt. And what really allows that to happen, you see, is, to, is the fact that 
everybody who's in the state of grace is in the mystical body of Christ. And in that mystical body, there's this communication of charity. That's how it works. That's how we can be saved at all is because being part of the mystical body, the merits of Christ as they had are applied to us. That's what baptism does or the baptism of desire if these pagans that we're talking about. But it, it, the principle is you have right. to be in the mystical body to receive um, this, these merits of Christ. And that is the same thing with regard to this temporal punishment of sin. It can be done by somebody else in the mystical body, by our Lord, a lady, or by anybody who's in the mystical body. Sure. It doesn't have to necessarily be you. And that's what happens, for example, with uh, indulgences. We apply the church, rather, the Pope uh, applies to these souls the treasure of merits uh, that belong to the mystical body. And because he's the head of the mystical body on the earth, the current Christ, he can apply these uh, different temporal punishments to the souls in purgatory. And that's something that's just the church has done for all time. And, you know, it's taught that's just part of our thing. That's the way it works. And that's all purgatory is. Right? It's just, this has got somebody has to pay this illegitimate pleasure that's been taken. And it can be, doesn't even have to be us necessarily. It's on some people. Because we're all sure. together. And so somebody else can do it. So we can do it for somebody else. And even, right. you know, since we're part of the mystical body here on earth, we can do it for somebody's in purgatory. Yeah. And that's something that <laughs> It's one of the great joys of, uh, in, in my mind, of being a Catholic is the whole concept of the mystical body of Christ. And, and we're all working together, you know, and, and we, you help someone get get to heaven from purgatory, they turn around and they help you while you're still here on earth. Uh, it's a it's really a beautiful thing. Well, and that's, you know, that brings us to heaven, right? That's right. The, um, because that's what it is. It's, it's being part of this mysterious thing, this, this mystical body of Christ, that we actually share in in his being somehow. That's that's what baptism does. That's the only way to be saved. He's the savior. Um, right. And heaven is just being in him. He is heaven. And that's why it's absolutely necessary to, I mean, like I said, these pagans who didn't know and couldn't know about Christ, they, they have, God gives them away being saved, but what they're saved by Christ. It's, it, there's no other way to be saved. He's the savior. That's just the way God de decided to do things. And there's all sorts of good reasons for that, but that'd be another podcast for me to talk about that. Sure. We want to just settle on is that um, what heaven is, is simply this enjoying well, the fruits of, of our Lord's passion right in the end. He died right. for our sins and he rose for our justification. He's, by his resurrection, he gives us this divine life of grace, which is this participation in God's life, which is what heaven is. And just like how in hell they, the, the deprivation of God is the main punishment, in heaven the main joy is the is being with God. But there's also the, the uh, I would say, the temporal. Is that the right yeah, term? The temporal joys? They, they call it the accidental reward. You know, okay. which is sort of what we were talking about before at the last judgment, for one thing. But mm -hmm. um, it's other goods besides the essential good, which is the vision of God, which depends. 
the depth of our vision of God, the intensity of vision of God, depends on our charity. We see God as much as we love it. Um, so that's what's fixed. That's the essential joy of heaven. It depends on our charity. But there's accidental rewards for different things that we did you know, during our life. That's this the part of the joy of it. And just being with the other people there too. I mean, that, that will be great. Yeah. Just yeah. like in hell, part of the punishment is being with the other people. Um, right. You know, because social. I have a quick, I have a quick follow-up question and, and this is a, a little bit off topic, but uh, it was something that someone asked me and I wasn't sure if I gave uh, the right answer myself, but um, we often hear of people having a higher place in heaven. Um, heaven is is one place. We all see the beatific vision. If we're in heaven, that's what it means. We have the beatific vision. So how is it possible that one could have more of a beatific vision than another? What does it mean to have for someone to be greater in heaven or a higher place in heaven? Well, it's just to, like I was saying, there's a certain knowledge that comes from love, and we see that here below. You know, a mother knows her children more than anyone because she loves them so much. There's a knowledge that comes through love. And our knowledge of God in heaven depends on our love. The more we loved him here on earth, and you know, when we the moment of our death, the degree of our love, that determines the degree of our vision of him in heaven. And since some people love God more than others, well, they see him. Like Our Lady loved God more than anybody. And so she uh, sees him more than anyone. It just just makes sense. Um, it was, oh, I mean, and so our Lord talks about this, right? Um, he says there's many mansions in heaven. Uh-huh. You live out. Well, yeah. that's what to say, say that means. And you know, there's different, different degrees. And it, again, it's part of God's justice. You know, someone, uh, I don't know, this drunk we were talking about earlier, uh, he finally, you know, says, well, you know, this is kind of stupid. I'm going to change it. And father comes and gives him that evolution on his deathbed and he just, and he goes to heaven. But he's not going to have the same Beatic vision as, you know, St. Dominic or, you know, a martyr. Right. It just wouldn't be just. So it, it's it's sort of like if 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 I go if if I go to a uh, to a concert uh, with a friend and I know a lot about music and I've played you know I studied classical piano etc and I go to this concert and my friend has never played piano before never understood it we're at the same concert but my right. enjoyment of it is greater because of my previous actions is that sort of a good that, analogy that's, that's a nice comparison yeah okay I mean obviously it's it's different because here it just depends purely on our charity. Sure. That's what matters. And that's why, you know, in life too, what matters is our charity. It doesn't matter mm. whether we can, you know, play the piano or the violin better. Right. Than right. I mean, that's a good thing, but it's not this sure. Um, sure. And study too. Even study doesn't make you necessarily love God more. Um, mm -hmm. So he brings us back to the essential thing. Yeah. The last things, right? Father Albert, yeah, this is this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for taking the time to to go through each of these with us and and um and just kind of putting it simply so that we can understand it. So thank you well, so much. And 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 you're traveling to New Zealand soon. Is that correct? Yeah, I'm going there for a couple of months on to see the sisters. Wonderful. 
that I spent Great. a year and a half with during COVID. <laughs> but I've known them since they started, you know, 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, Great. Well, safe, safe travels, Father. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Thank Bye-bye. you for your time. God bless. Yeah. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Apologetic Series on the SSPX podcast and on our YouTube page. Please consider subscribing to the YouTube account and the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever fine podcasts are found. And please consider leaving a rating or a review on this podcast. This will help to make sure more people can find this podcast and discover the beauty and the truth of traditional Catholicism. Until next time, thank you for joining us and God bless you.